Welcome to the Creepaway Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're here every Wednesday with a new murder. This is your host, Caitlin Hedrick. Let's dig in. Warning, the following includes murder and violence. Use parental supervision. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty-one. Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing. On the gallows she will swing. This is the story of Lizzie Borden and the Borden murders. Andrew Jackson Borden married Sarah Morse on December 25, 1845. They had three daughters, Emma Borden, Alice Borden, who died at two years old, and Lizzie Borden. Andrew Borden was a very prominent and successful businessman. Although he was quite wealthy, he held a tight hand on the purse strings according to friends of the family. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 19, 1860 at the Borden House on Ferry Street in Fall River, Massachusetts. Her sister Emma was nine years old when Lizzie was born. Lizzie's mother died in 1863 and her father got remarried on June 6, 1865 to Abby Gray. Family friends said that Lizzie was a sensitive child and very shy with people she did not know. This shyness continued on throughout her life, and in many cases, people misunderstood her because of this. Lizzie attended public school at Fall River and decided to leave in her junior year because she did not enjoy studying. Lizzie gave her father her high school ring, which he wore for 15 years, and he had it on at the time of his death and was buried in it. One of her teachers is quoted as saying that Lizzie was subject to varying moods and was never fond of her stepmother. He went on to say that Lizzie was always willing to talk about her dislike of her stepmother, and this teacher also lived next door to the Bordens and said that Abby Borden tried to gain favor with her stepdaughters in many ways, but she was never successful, and the household was an unhappy one. After Lizzie left school, her life was fairly uneventful. She was a dedicated member at the Central Congregational Church, and she taught Sunday school at the Central Mission Sabbath School. She would not dance or attend parties where dancing occurred after joining the church as an adult. She had an eye for design and would decorate the church for various events. She was also very modest about her talents, frequently dismissing any compliments. She loved to read, and it is said that her father had a great library. A family friend said that Lizzie's chief quality was her secretiveness. She was the same in temperament as a child and as an adult, The only thing that changed about her is her religion. In 1890, Lizzie took a tour of Europe with some friends. She traveled for three months 
and she thoroughly enjoyed traveling and particularly loved the cathedrals. Lizzie was involved in the local hospital, the Fruit and Flower Mission, and the Women's Christian Temperance Union, as well as other charities in the area. In 1892, Fall River, Massachusetts was a city of just over 83,000 people. On July 21st of that year, Emma and Lizzie Borden traveled to New Bedford, Massachusetts, and then Emma continued on for a long stay with friends in Fairhaven. Lizzie returned to Fall River on July 26th. She was supposed to take a trip to Dr. Hardy's summer home in Marion, where she had some friends, but she postponed the trip until Monday, August 8th. Lizzie told a friend on Wednesday the 3rd that she postponed the trip because she was feeling depressed, but she wasn't exactly sure why she was feeling depressed. The whole household, Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, and the maid Bridget, were all sick on Tuesday, August 2nd. Abby Borden went to visit Dr. Bowen the next morning around 9 a.m. She told him and his wife that she believed she and her husband were poisoned. She told them about the violent illness the whole family had had before. In actuality, the family probably had food poisoning. There was no poison detected in the stomachs after the murder. And since it was the whole family, most probably it was just food poisoning. Andrew's brother-in-law, the brother of his first wife, John Morse, visited the Borden family on Wednesday, August 3rd. The two men had a business matter to attend to, so they weren't necessarily expecting him that day, but they knew that he would be coming at some point to deal with the matter. Morse arrived at the Borden house on Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. He then left to go deal with business between 3 and 4 and returned to the house at 8.30 p.m. On that Wednesday, according to a drugstore clerk, Lizzie went to the drugstore and tried to buy arsenic, but the pharmacist was at lunch, so the clerk could not sell it. She then asked for prusic acid, which the clerk said he also could not sell, and he suggested that she return when the pharmacist was back from lunch. Prusic acid is a very quick poison. It causes a fast death within 40 minutes. It's also colorless and has a peach smell. Lizzie said that she wanted it to clean some clothes, but in the trial they tried to say that she really wanted it to kill her father and stepmother. Either way, she never got her hands on it, so it didn't really help or hinder her case. The evening of that Wednesday... Lizzie went out and visited her friend Alice Russell for two hours. Alice testified that Lizzie spoke of going to Marion to visit friends on the following Monday. She told of the illness that the household had experienced, and she told that she feared something was going to happen to her father and stepmother. Lizzie returned home at 9 p.m., and she went directly to bed. The morning of the murder, Thursday, August 4th, Andrew was still not feeling well, but he went to work anyway. John Morse went to visit his niece, Annie Morse, and Abby went upstairs to tidy up the guest bedroom. Lizzie and Bridget were at home doing some housework. Bridget was 
cleaning the windows, and Lizzie suggested to Bridget that she go to a sale that was happening at a store in the town. But Bridget Bridget said she still didn't really feel all that well, so she decided to just clean the windows, and then she was going to go lay down. Lizzie said that she believed Abby was going to go out and visit a friend after tidying up the guest bedroom because Abby had received a note from a sick friend, but officers never located the note. Abby went up to the guest bedroom between 9 a.m. and 10.30, and while she was up there, she was murdered by an axe or hatchet during that time. She was struck 17 times and was facing her attacker when the blows were struck. Lizzie testified that she was in the kitchen and then in the cellar at the time, and Bridget was cleaning the windows. At 10.45, Bridget said she had to go let Andrew into the house. The door was locked, and she tried to unlock it, but the lock was kind of jammed, so she had to work with it, and she cursed. And when she cursed, she said she heard Lizzie laugh up in the hallway at the top of the stairs. She said from where the laugh sounded, it sounded like she was either at the top of the stairs or she was at the entryway to the hallway up there. Now, where Abby's body was located in the guest bedroom with the door open, no one could have been at the top of the stairs or in that hallway without seeing her dead on the floor because the bedroom was immediately at the top of the stairs. After letting Andrew into the house, Bridget went to her room in the attic up the back stairway to lie down, and it was just before 11. Specifically, in one place, it said it was 10.58 So, Bridget then says that she left Lizzie downstairs with her father. Lizzie testified that her father came in at 10.30, which is a slightly different time than what Bridget tells us. And she went into the sitting room with him. He was still not feeling all that great, so she helped him get comfortable by removing his coat, putting on his slippers, lying down on the sofa, and all that. And then she went out to the barn, which was about 15 feet away from the side door of the house. The picture from the murder scene shows that Andrew still had on his shoes and jacket. He was laid slumped over kind of onto the sofa, but his feet were still on the floor, which is contrary to what she was telling us. He was murdered with an axe or hatchet like his wife and was struck 10 or 11 times. His time of death was estimated at 11 a.m. Lizzie told varying accounts about what she was doing while her father was being murdered. She told Bridget that she was in the backyard and heard a groan. She told a couple of friends that she was in the barn to get iron to fix a screen. She told one that she was in a barn and she heard scraping sound. She said she was in the barn for 30 minutes. She told the district attorney that she had picked up some pears first and then went into the barn. At the inquest, Lizzie said that after leaving her father to rest, she put her irons to get hot by the fire and went to the barn to get lead sinker. She stopped at the pear tree, picked up three pears, went into the barn, stood at the west window looking out onto 2nd Street while she ate her pears, and then after she, she searched the barn for the iron sinkers, she searched for about 15-20 minutes and found a chip 
She then went back into the house through the kitchen, put her hat down on in the dining room, and then she went to the sitting room where she found her father dead. At the trial, Hyman Lubinsky, an ice cream peddler, testified that he saw a woman come out of the barn going back into the back door of the house at 11.03. A neighbor, Charles Gardner, corroborated the timeline. And when Lubinsky was asked if she had a hat on, he said no, she definitely didn't have a hat on. Bridget said that at 11.10, Lizzie called her from downstairs. Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Adelaide Churchill, the neighbor, found Lizzie at the side door of her house. She said Lizzie seemed excited or agitated as if something had happened. Mrs. Churchill asked Lizzie, what's the matter? And Lizzie answered, oh, Mrs. Churchill, do come over. Someone has killed father. Bridget and Mrs. Churchill saw Andrew in the sitting room. Then they talked to Lizzie and Lizzie said she thought Abby might have returned home. So they started up the stairs together. And when Bridget and Mrs. Churchill were about halfway up the stairs, they saw Abby face down in a pool of blood in the guest bedroom. Dr. Bowen came to the scene and gave Lizzie a sedative because of the shock of finding her father murdered. Though the officers on the scene said that they were put off by Lizzie's calm and poise in the situation. So she might not have even really needed the sedative. He just gave it to her anyway. Almost the entire police force was off on their annual outing on the day of the murder. As a result, it took a bit longer for the officers to arrive than normal, but once the alarm was sent out, it only took them about 30 minutes until six or so officers that were still in town were on the scene. Marshal Hilliard and a group of patrolmen searched the entire residence starting at the attic between 3.15 and 6.30 p.m. The entire house was searched for the murder weapon, but they were unsuccessful. They did find a hatchet with a broken handle in the cellar that was thought to possibly be the murder weapon. The break in the handle appeared fresh, and the thought process was that the killer broke off the handle to get rid of the blood evidence. It also did not have dust on it like the other tools in the cellar had. Also in the cellar, officers found a bucket in which three towels were soaking to get rid of blood stains. Lizzie said that she had been on her period and that that's what the towels had been used for. The police said that They searched Lizzie's room, but they didn't do a very thorough job because she wasn't feeling well and wanted to lay down. August 6th, the police returned and did a more thorough search. That's when they went through Lizzie's closet and found a white skirt that had a pin drop of blood on the back of it. Lizzie said this was due to her period as well. At this time in history, men didn't really want to talk about a woman's period at all, much less in a public trial. They barely touched upon the subject that blood was found on the residence because of it being her period blood and they just kind of moved on they brushed over it there was a lot of tampering of evidence in this situation the clothing that the victims had on and the parts of abby's skull that had been chopped off during the attack were buried behind the barn under the order of john morse the brother-in-law 
the items were dug up by the physician, they were examined, and then they were put in a shoebox and buried again. They were dug up for a final time a few days later, and the evidence was then finally kept by the police. I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to bury them in the first place, but nonetheless, that is what happened. Lizzie and Emma offered a $5,000 reward for the recovery of who killed Andrew and Abby Borden. They also hired a Pinkerton detective. On August 7th, Lizzie burned one of her dresses in the presence of her friend, Alice Russell. This was the day after she'd been informed that she was a suspect. She claimed that the dress was stained from house paint that she'd accidentally rubbed up against. It was a cheap, very dark blue dress, and they never determined whether it was the same one she had on the day of the murders or not. The morning of the murders, Lizzie had on a dark blue blouse and skirt combo, and she changed in the afternoon to a pink wrap, so they're not 100% sure, and there wasn't much investigation on whether or not that was the dress she had worn that morning or not. There were several theories of who killed the Bordens. John Morse was one of the first suspects, but he had a solid alibi. Obviously, Lizzie was suspected. Some other suspects were Dr. Bowen, a beau of Lizzie's, and even a random Frenchman who was in town. Bridget was also suspected, but they didn't really have much of a motive um, for her. And Lizzie ended up being arrested on Thursday, August 11th, 1892. The Borden trial was on June 5th, 1893 in New Bedford. On June 1st of that year, so just a few days before, Bertha Manchester was found murdered by an axe in her kitchen in Fall River. The jurors were aware of this and the fact that it was a very similar crime to the Borden murder. So, it may have had an effect on how they saw the evidence to the crime. A year later, a Portuguese immigrant, Jose Correra de Mayo, was convicted of the murder of Bertha Manchester. And he was nowhere close to Fall River during the Borden murder, so they didn't actually have any connection. During the questioning... Many of Lizzie's answers were confusing or contradictory the whole time, really, from the investigation to the inquest and the trial. All all along, Lizzie gave kind of varying accounts of what happened. Mrs. Susan Hardy, the wife of Dr. Hardy, was interviewed by the Fall River Evening News during the trial. She was a friend and visited the boarding board and home frequently she said that both emma and lizzie were extremely kind to both andrew and abby borden she said it is outrageous that lizzie should have been persecuted without any evidence to justify it no one personally acquainted with her believes that there is the slightest foundation for the suspicions that have been spread and broadcast she continues to say that lizzie's calm demeanor during the trial is part of who she is and not at all suspect During the trial, Lizzie's pastor, Reverend Evan Edwin Buck, was one of her main supporters. When Lizzie was charged with murder and held in custody, Reverend Buck was a frequent visitor and he would bring Lizzie books to read and supported her spiritually while she was awaiting trial. The pastor was there for her every step of the way. 
And after an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury declared Lizzie Borden innocent of all murders. Lizzie and Emma moved to a house in the hill area of Fall River after the trial. They had several servants and lived in luxury. They inherited from both their father and stepmother and were very wealthy. Even though Lizzie had been found innocent, the general public view was that she was guilty and she was ostracized from the Fall River Society. She changed her name to Lizbeth, probably to get away from the stigma that came with her name. In 1897, she was caught shoplifting, which brought her into the news again. In 1905, Lizzie had a huge argument with her sister, and Emma moved out of the house, and the two sisters never saw each other again. On June 1st, 1927, Lizzie Borden died of pneumonia, and her funeral really didn't have that many people attending it. Nine days later, Emma died of nephritis in a nursing home in New Hampshire. The whole story is really quite sad because Lizzie got away with it, and in my opinion, she did it. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not a police officer. I was not a detective there, but this is one of my favorite cases and I have read a good bit on it. I think it's worth reading all the books on it because it's very interesting. There's a lot to it. And honestly, I left some stuff out just for time's sake because you could go on and on and on about this. Several, several books have been written on this murder. I think it's sad really that Lizzie never got convicted of it because I truly believe she did it. There was just too many discrepancies in her story and there was a lot of evidence. The reason that I think she got off was because she was a school teacher and she was a woman in the late 1800s and that just it people didn't believe that a woman could have done a crime this brutal at that time. I also think that if Bridget didn't have anything to do with it, she for sure knew what happened because she was in the house when all of this occurred. I don't know how she couldn't have been at least somewhat aware of what occurred. So I do think that is, that's worth noting that, that Bridget most probably was either paid off or she just liked Lizzie enough to stay on her side for it. I don't know. I do think that's interesting, though. There have been many theories about this murder. Um, some of them have been that Lizzie and Emma had an incestuous relationship. Some of them have been that Lizzie and Bridget were lesbians, and that's the reason that she killed her father and stepmother because they found out about it. I mean, who really knows, honestly? They they easily could have been. But it, it could have been a million different reasons. She could have really hated her stepmother and just been mad at her dad that she wasn't allowed to live in luxury when they had the ability to. It could have been multiple reasons. The There were some theories that it was just a random thing by somebody coming into the house and just killing them. But the problem with that theory is that it doesn't usually happen that somebody randomly comes in and commits a murder that brutal. If you're going to come in, you're going to probably steal something and nothing was stolen. And 
And it's usually a quick death. It's not going to necessarily be with an axe. The problems with this story, too, is that we're not 100% sure what happened to the murder weapon. They have had multiple people come up and say, hey, I found this murder weapon. You know, owners years later of the house have said they found this murder weapon in the barn or they found one while they were doing renovations. But in actuality, they just don't know. They don't know where the where the weapon went. Um, but the best theory is that the one that was broken in the cellar was the murder weapon. And that the towels that she claimed were for her period were actually the towels that she used to clean the weapon. And then that the the other theory is that when she put on that pink wrap at the end of the day, that she really just put it on to cover up the dress that had the blood stains on it. Which I think is all possible. I mean, who really knows? She, there... I, I do think that she did it, but it could have been Bridget. Bridget could have done the murders, you know? So, I, th- I think it's interesting. I definitely, it's it's a case that I thoroughly enjoy studying and that I love to know all the little bits and pieces of. There is so much information and there's so many different accounts from different people who knew her or the family and it really was a case that shook the town and... It divided the town because everybody was on a different side. It's it's one of my favorites. And I'm so glad that I got to share it with you. So that was the Lizzie Borden story and the Borden murders. Thank you for listening to the Creep Away Podcast. We're here every Wednesday with a new murder for you. Have a great week.